Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 198th episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association. I'm Kyle Barton with Chairs Over the Water, and I'm here with my co-host, Diami Plotke of the Penultimate Woodshop. Tonight, we're talking to Keith Johnson. You may know him as KJ Sawdust on Instagram and through his website, KeithJohnsonCWW.com. You okay with those W's? <laughs> those are tough. I know, those are tough. Sometimes those... you just got to use the George Bush and say WW. Yeah, yeah, I'm Texan, so I should have done that. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right in your backyard. WW. So, um, but anyway, before we get started, I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to our um, thoughts and well wishes to all those that have been impacted by uh, Hurricane Michael and those that are going to be impacted. Um, as we're recording this, I think uh, the uh, hurricane made landfall about four or five hours ago. So uh, our well wishes go out to them. Yeah, from what I understand, it's one of these storms that hasn't actually died down as they expected it to, so it's now sitting over land, still cranking up the wind. Yeah, I think it's still a Cat 1 heading into Georgia, or in Georgia now. Yeah, it's not so, going to make it all the way up here, unfortunately. Y'all, y'all need rain bad? Uh, I could use some wind. I'm a roofer. Oh, well, that's Hurricanes true. are like that's Christmas true. for us. <laughs> I always hope that everyone is okay. I, I don't wish anyone to get hurt in a hurricane, but that being yeah. said, a couple of blown off roofs is never a bad thing. <laughs> well, good. Oh. Well, good. Well, so, uh, uh, Diami, so what's in, what's in the shop? Well, besides I'm st- podcast equipment. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still working on the fence, and I don't know if I've overthunk this, but... The fence assembly as it stands right now is a four by four, so it's roughly three and a half inches, and then there's the one by three horizontal slat that's part of the stockade assembly, and that's not really a one by three, it's a little less than that, so let's say it's it's a fat one inch, and then you've got the slats of the fence themselves, which are just under half an inch, and with that whole assembly, um, I don't know what it is exactly off the top of my head, I did measure it, but it's more than, a, than three and a half inches, which is you know a two by four. And the way the gates are going to fit is I need them to be flush on both the inside and outside faces because I'm going to put the hinges on the back so it opens in. So I haven't started building the fences yet, but I've got all the lumber sitting in my driveway. And what they're going to be is I'm going to frame the gates out of two by six. And I have to rip them to whatever it is. It's not going to be full five and a mm-hmm. half. It's going to be like, I think, a, I think just under five inches wide. Um, but then what I'm going to do is... As soon as I get, um, you know, from the hinge edge, as soon as I get in far enough that I'm past the hinge, because they're these like T-style hinges, so it, it extends probably about 12 inches out onto the gate. And as soon as I get past that, I'm going to notch the 2 by 6 some more, probably on, probably on the bandsaw if I can fit them on the bandsaw. I might have to do it with the jigsaw. But I'm going to bring it down to, say, only 2, maybe 2 and a half inches thick, because I, I realize they don't need to be that full thickness the entire way across. So I don't know if I've just explained that properly, but essentially at the hinge side, it's going to be about five inches thick. And then mm-hmm. once we get about 12 inches away from the hinge side, it'll step in and only be about two and a half, three inches thick. So I can save some weight in the middle. So that, that'll be 
that that will hopefully be the project this coming weekend when we get home from camping. Okay, nice, nice. So is that the last piece you have to do, or is that the, the... well? It's a, it's a it's a double gate on this side, so I have to make yeah. two of them. But once okay. once the gates are done on that's the south side on the south side, then mm-hmm. the fence on the front of the house will be done. I really should do probably about thirty foot of fence on the south side of the house, extending from this new fence back. And I'm not sure if I'm going to do that or not. But that, so, so at some point in the near future, I'll have to do that fence. But I think I'm going to take a break from fence work before I do that. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I finish this fence and it's not, I'm saying hopefully it's not too cold to keep working in the entertainment center. But as I'm standing in my garage right now with the door open on August, uh, on October 10th, it is, It's 78 degrees in my shop right now. Uh, oh, well, so that's nice. I don't think – I'm not yet concerned about it being too cold to work on the entertainment center. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, not too bad. That's not yeah. too bad. I think we hit a high here about 90 today. So. Yeah. It's October. It's cool. colder. Yeah, it was cool in the morning. I could hear a – you know, just get a taste of a touch of fall. I think it was about 76. <laughs> <laughs> But um, what have you been up to, Kyle? You finish your stools? No, no. Well, yes, yes, I am finishing my stools. So that's that's what I'm doing right now. So the two prototype stools, um, I'm doing some finishing. It's taking forever because my day job is really impeding on any um, weeknight um, uh, shop time. So what I've done is I took one of the prototypes and I've mixed up some uh, milk paint um, Peter Galbert did a stool that he posted on Instagram, I don't know, a few weeks, month or so ago that was kind of a Ferrari red. And I mm-hmm. really like that. So I'm trying to duplicate that without buying extra milk paint. So I didn't quite follow his his uh, formula, but I think I got pretty close. We'll know once I put a clear coat on it. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I got three coats of the red on now. Um, I, I'm no, I'm going to need at least one more coat, maybe two more, yeah. uh, before I can burnish it. Uh, yeah, I'm looking sure. at the picture. Is that uh, that's not a stock red color? That's a color you mixed up to get to mm-hmm. that red. Yeah, I, I used um, three parts what they're calling flag red with uh, one part. Um, uh, what is it? Barn red. And whose um, whose milk paint do you use? Uh, this is the real milk paint company. Okay. There's also the old fashioned milk paint company. I've used them both. Um, I just have more of the, I just have used the real milk paint company product uh, a little more. Do they both come in a powder that you have to mix? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of a pain, but it is what it is. Does, but, but it dries really hard. Does the so ratio you nice. mix at influence the color or just the, the consistency and the application rate? To my mind, the consistency. But I've heard some people say it can can affect the color too. Um, but I usually um, mix mine about three parts water to two parts uh, milk paint. Okay. A ratio of three to two. And um, there are some uh, methods just – to uh, find out how thin or thick you can by using, you know, one, what is, what's it? Ford cup. So what it's called. I, I know the ones you're talking about where it drips yeah. and you get the viscosity like a based on counting it. Time. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like a, a Zon cup. 
Hazan. Yeah. yeah, maybe yeah. that's it. But um, yeah, I know there are some um, formulas for that, but I usually just kind of play around with it. And um, if it needs to be thinner, I kind of know that by the way it lays out. And uh, if it needs to be thicker, you can always add a little bit more milk paint to it. So, but um, I've been real happy with that with that ratio. It's it's kind of a pain because I got to mix it up. You got to wait overnight, um, and then you need to strain it and you know, that powder is like baby powder. So you got to be careful or you'll get it everywhere. <laughs> so yeah, don't ask me how I know that. But anyway, um, and it, it's a milk paint, I will say is a pain to use, but I don't think there's any other paint that gives you the results of it. I've not tried yeah. um, anything but black milk paint. And mm-hmm. this could just be the lazy uh, painter in me, but in the samples I made up, because actually the vertical components of the entertainment center are going to be matte black on the sides. Mm-hmm. And I was considering doing it in milk paint, but I painted a sample. Now, it's Baltic birch plywood I'm painting, so it's, maybe yeah. that has something to do with it also. But I painted a sample in black milk paint, and I painted mm-hmm. a sample in black, flat black Benjamin Moore wall paint. And mm-hmm. I, I was hard-pressed to tell the difference. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I've noticed, uh, I guess the difference is, especially when you're talking about Windsor chairs and kind of getting that two tone effect where you, mm. uh, layer the milk paint one tone on the, under the other, Okay, it dries really hard. It dries really thin. It still shows the grain. And then, you know, you usually put some sort of top coat on it. Um, whether it be an old varnish blend, you know, a wiping varnish, I've, you know, as you know, I've converted to Osmo and I think Keith, you're using Osmo too. I am. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Correct. And so, you know, it really, it really comes out nice. Now, the other stool, um, before we go too far down that tangent, the other stool, I've been trying to find it. I just wanted that one to be black. And I've uh, experimented with various types of, um, uh, you know, black milk paint. I've looked at some. Um, there's a, a cabinet and trim paint out there that uh, one of the chair makers were using. Had good results from that, but it's really thick. Um, this time I saw a article in, uh, fine woodworking, oh, a couple of months ago by a Christian, um, what the shaker guy, uh, Bexford. Bexford. Yeah. And, uh, he was using India ink. So I figured, Hey, that's interesting. So I actually done the other one in India ink and that's so far it's worked out pretty good. I still haven't put a top coat on it. Uh, that's, that's next, but I also got some some test boards I'm doing too. So before I put a top coat on it, I'm going to uh, try it out on the test boards, of course. But, the one with the um, India ink. Um, mm-hmm. I've used India ink as a black dye and mm-hmm. I, I was using it to tint shellac. And okay. even in that case, I was finding that I was raising the grain and I don't know, India ink is apparently water-based and maybe I shouldn't have yeah. mixed it with shellac, but it didn't seem to cause any finish problems per se. It was just raising the grain much more than mm. I would have expected. So did you have any issues oh, yeah. with that? Well, um, I I uh, raised the grain twice on both of these stools before I applied either the milk okay. paint because it's water-based too, as mm-hmm. well as the India ink. But yeah, the, the, rain, the grain still raises, but not as much. So uh, I sanded it down after the first coat of India ink, um, applied a second coat of India ink, sanded that down, and um, I didn't get any 
Um, I didn't get any burnout, burns through the uh, edges or anything where wood would show. And oh, I was really okay. impressed with that. Um, so basically, two coats of India ink seemed to do the job. And I don't even know if I would have really needed two coats, but I just did it anyway. Was it straight India ink you put on or did you? Did yeah. You, okay. Straight. Yeah. Yep. Just went to uh, art supply place and got a, you know, I think a 16 ounce bottle of India ink for about 10 bucks. So the price was right too. So, but like I said, I'll put a top coat on it. And, um, like I said, these are just prototypes. So I'm just kind of experimenting. They I'm not going to lose it. I'm not going to lose anything. If they look like trash, I'll just, you know, cut them up and put them in the burn pile. <laughs> Be careful burning that ink. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 I may burn that down the street. <laughs> But, uh, but uh, Keith, what are you yeah, been up have, to in your shop? Well, I just finished up my last big project, the uh, walnut pedestal table, which has been in here for four, three or four months. So I delivered that on Saturday, finally. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it felt, <laughs> felt amazing to actually finish a project in less than eight months. And because it, it was supposed to deliver in June, so I was slightly tardy with that delivery. Luckily, the Clients were very uh, accommodating with that, and they could follow along on Instagram as I posted everything, the whole build. So I think that made it a little more special for them, seeing how it was built right. um, and where it was built. And they actually came over here on Saturday uh, with their little son and helped me load it up into the van. Um, so they got to tour the shop, and then we took it over and, and brought it into their house, into okay. the space. So it was great. And so that's really it for this shop. My wife and I are moving in a few weeks, so I will be commencing the packing up process. Oh. Um, I'm finishing. I I do not like making cutting boards, but there was some uh, walnut left over from this table, so I'm going to make the uh, the clients a little cutting board just so they have a little part of the table. So I'm finishing that up. And probably going to head up there this weekend and some final uh, glamour picks. So last weekend, it was kind of a rush to get it into the house and their two-year-old. And I really want to take it outside into the yard, uh, okay. get some natural light photos and everything. So, But after, you know, then it's going to be moving, packing. And for the rest of the year, it'll be shop set up. And it's going to be a wild ride. When uh, When do you actually move? We're not sure. Like Monday, we're bu- we're building a townhouse, so Monday was the final walkthrough. So now they can uh, have the town come in for their final inspection to get a CO. So once they get that CO, then we can close or set a close date. So I'm hoping by the end of the month we're okay. we're moving in. So I'm real interested in what your strategy for packing up the shop is because I'm thinking about moving myself in a few months. I haven't. F- Thought that far ahead. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little fly by my, the seat of my pants on that. But yeah. most of my stuff, like my planer is on a mobile stand. My router table is on wheels. My drill press is on wheels. The table saw is a mobile base. So everything is pretty much mobile. Um, and then everything else, everything is a lot of cabinets in here. Like my miter saw is all on cabinets. And you can see the cabinets mm-hmm. behind me. So... I'm hoping I don't have to empty everything. My, my ideal plan would be to take the cabinets down intact, shrink wrap the heck out of them, and throw them in the truck and not mm-hmm. have to unload and pack everything. So we'll 
we'll see how that pans out. But the shop is really going to be the last thing out of the house because I want to get everything, the furniture, boxes, everything into the house and not stage it in the garage. I want to bring it right into the house and then move my shop stuff in. But when I come up with a plan, Kyle, <laughs> I will take notes. And <laughs> Well, hopefully you'll post it on Instagram because, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't know if you were gonna if you were gonna move everything yourself or try to get one of those pods or hiring a moving company or what. Yeah, we'd love to hire a moving company, but it's quite expensive. Yeah, um, I have some friends with uh, with trucks, so we'll probably rent a U-Haul and then team up with some uh, pickup trucks to to finish the balance of it. But like we rent where we live now; it's my sister's house, so it's not. A com- until she sells it, it's not a complete rush to get out. Okay. Whereas mm-hmm. it's not like someone has bought the house already, so we got to hurry up and get out. So we have a little bit of time. Oh, so the nice. pressure's not as much. You're doing a combination of like a U-Haul and pickup trucks and stuff, and you're what about an hour and a half door to door? Yes, an hour and a half. Yeah, we'll do a we'll do a combo fleet of different vessels to get it there. Although you know that Kyle idea of a pod, that's the problem is. My driveway, you know, on by my garage where everything will go through is at a very steep angle, and to drop a pod on there, I don't, I don't know if that would work. Mm, the logistics yeah. of that seem very difficult. Uh, for it's a short driveway and it's very steep, so I don't think they would even be able to get in here at an angle to put yeah. it on there. Ooh, yeah, you're probably right there. That adds another layer of excitement to your <laughs> shop move. <Right. laughs> But we'll figure it out at the last minute, just like everything else. Now, talk to me about your shop setup. You mentioned that you had stuff on wheels and all the cabinets, but do you have a lot of big equipment, or is it mostly just hand power tools and hand tools that are going? Yeah, there's nothing. I don't have anything really. The biggest thing is the table saw, and that is just a rigid, you know, the R4512 kind of cabinet hybrid saw. Okay. But every I don't have a jointer. Uh, my planer is on a mobile base. Um, I really don't have anything gigantic that a lot of people would. I just, I don't even have a big dust collector. Like that's the first thing I will be buying when I move to the new shop is a dedicated dust collector, Mm. setting up dust collection because, you know, I'm just sick and tired of dust everywhere and it's, you know, health wise and cleaning Mm -hmm. wise and everything else. So I really want to focus on that and get that set up and then set everything else up around that. So I did have the new shop wired with a few 220s for that Good. purpose um so we'll see you know i kind of have in my mind how i want it set up but you never really know until once you get in there because now i'm going to have 10 foot ceilings compared to what i have now which are seven and a half <laughs> so that's going to open up a whole you know all new possibilities for lumber storage and cabinets and getting things up and out of the way so we'll see how that goes i'm you know, it's great because now I'm going to, I can put, uh, like right now the shop lighting, I have, I think I have 10, <laughs> four foot shop lights in this 16 by 18 space. Like it's great, but it's, you know, cause I film a lot. So it creates a lot right. of weird shadows and reflections. Mm. So now with 10 foot ceilings and, you know, I won't need as many led lights in there. So hopefully it'll create a better, uh, environment for filming and just for basic shop lighting. Mm-hmm. Is your shop going to be a little bit bigger than your current one? It's a couple feet bigger. Every time I okay. go and measure it and I forget what this is, I think this is 16 by 18. I think the new one is 17 and a half by 19. <laughs> so, <laughs> fighting for every last foot. Yeah. That's right. Well, 
because now I, I have basically, uh, I don't know if you call it a archipelago or a, like I, I have to walk around everything to get to my shop. There's, I can't walk around 360 around my bench. Mm-hmm. So, cause I have the MFT on one end of the bench and then my bench. So I'd really love it where I can get full access all the way around. So that's what I'm hoping for. I hope you get it. That sounds like a pipe dream to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you're in a train car kind of, right? <laughs> I really am. <laughs> Well, well. Before we get into the um, full interview, I think we'll see if there's anything out there that uh, piqued our interest. Uh, Diami, I know you uh, attended the uh, was it was it the New York Makers Fair? Yeah, I actually I, yeah. I ran into Keith there. Um, right. Yep. It was um, it was a maker fair, so it's mm-hmm. very different from a woodworking event. It's it's there are these crazy. I, I say these. I, I've only been to the New York one, and I understand it's like the second most second busiest one second to the one in san francisco so i i suspect that if you go to a more regional one or one of the one of the mini makers they're a lot calmer but it's just you know take thousands and thousands of people and send them to queens and that's what you get <laughs> um i like this year i stopped by, by by myself for just a couple hours in the afternoon after work one day rather than take the kids the past two years i've gone with my three kids and one year with my wife, one year with my dad. And Mm -hmm. it was enjoyable, but it's overwhelming. Um, And trying to get through this big spread out fair with people everywhere uh, with the kids, it was, it was a bridge too far. Um, It was just, Mm -hmm. some of the stuff was really interesting and really appropriate for them, but it was just a very rough, stressful day. Um, So this year I, I basically just kind of made a beeline between where Paul Jackman was and where Wilbur Pan was and just kind of hung out with the two of them for a few minutes and saw, yeah. saw Keith and saw a couple of other woodworkers. I ran into Tim Sway. Um, yeah, I noticed you uh, shanghai to Wilbur Pan's booth. I did. I did. <laughs> I thought you see were working I, in See, see what booth. I did there? See what I did there? Well, I, 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 I don't know if, if I should be saying this, but um, I reached out to Wilbur and I was like, you know, maybe next year we should do a booth together and just – you know, show absolute opposite ways to do the exact same task and just teach people that there's no wrong way to do it. And he seems open to that. I don't know if we'll actually pull it together. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll need electricity, which might be an issue because he was kind of out in the lawn. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I thought that'd be really cool to just have a booth where, you know, I've got a couple of Rotex Sanders and he's got a Japanese plane and we're both finishing the same board. <laughs> well, you can make it more obnoxious. You could have a generator running. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. Like, I'm just not that. I, I could. I'm not that obnoxious. As obnoxious as I am, I'm not that obnoxious. Um, so yeah, I he he was there by himself. So he asked me to watch the booth when he ran and got lunch. Um, so I was doing my best to not misinform people as they walked up. Well, fantastic. Uh, anything else strike your interest? Um, I heard that uh, you caught a really interesting blog post, which I'd love to hear about. Has to do something oh, with okay. your chairs. Yes, it does. How would you guess something like that? But anyway, yeah, I thought it might be interesting to point out. I talk enough about chairs, so I figured that anybody that listens to me maybe is also interested in chairs, and which means they probably already know about this. But um, on the Lost Art Press blog, Chris Swartz has been uh, posting about a visit to Wales. So he he went there. Um, uh, Chris Williams, who's a Welsh stick chair builder who I, I might have mentioned once or twice before. Um, anyway, he lives in Wales and uh, is writing a book about the Welsh stick chairs and uh, 
kind of kind of talking about is both an instructional manual from what I guarantee from what I know is both an instructional man, manual and then a little bit about um, John Brown, who basically popular, popularized, if I can say that correctly, the Welsh stick chair. Um, kind of a little bit more about his background. So um, I think that book's due to be published in about a year or so. So uh, Chris went over there to visit, and he's on part five a blog post about his visit to Wales. And if you're into chairs at all, and especially if you're into the Welsh stick chair, I highly recommend going over there and taking a look at it. Let me ask you, Kyle, you know about mm-hmm. these things. Um, if my interest is in chairs, mm-hmm. but not, I, my chairs are more in the vein of Jeff Miller than um, Jenny Alexander. Mm-hmm. Is something like the Welsh stick chair book knowing um the way I, i'm blanking on the author's name but knowing the way he teaches and his yeah, philosophy for, is that something that is still going to be interesting and valuable or do you think it's going to be more if if you want to build a welsh chick, stick chair or some variation thereof it's going to be very valuable but outside of that not so much no i think it, i think it'll be very valuable because um john brown did a lot of writing kind of has a philosophy of woodworking, I guess, uh, similar to some other great makers out there like a Krenoff or, or, or such. So I think you'll learn a lot about, you know, himself as a, um, quote unquote chair maker or okay. maker simple and what his philosophy was and his quirks. And, uh, he has, I mean, I saw Chris Williams tell tell after tell about John Brown, and uh, he seems to be a very fascinating, opinionated, and uh, very inspiring uh, person. So I think you'll get a lot from that. And any chairs, I think if you're into chairs, uh, the form of chairs, you can really look at chairs and you know kind of see what they're made about and really take some inspiration or some design away from those. So okay. I think anybody that's interested, uh, you know, would would like it. I mean, I'm not interested in in really building, um, you know, what are the typical uh, chairs? Uh, golly, the form escapes me with the splats on the back, the heavily carved legs, Philadelphia oh, uh, something. Yeah, yeah, similar to that, but it's a it's another form I'm looking at. But those type of chairs, I'm not interested in building them, mm-hmm. but. I really like looking at them and seeing how they're constructed and a lot of the techniques that were used. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in chairs or seating for that matter, uh, I think it will be a great book. And, you know, once you see one of these chairs, I mean, they are just so, I think they're just handsome chairs. There's not a, another word I can really come comes to mind, but handsome. Are they comfortable? And, yes, they're, 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 they're comfortable. Um, <laughs> There, you know, I think, um, you know, I built one. Mine's, I had to do some adjustments on mine, but I like it now. Um, I have built other chairs that I think are more comfortable, but I know a lot of people like the form. And I don't really know if I can comment too much on it as far as being a maker of chairs since I've only built one. Um, I probably need to build uh, two or three more. And, um, you know, I'll get around to that probably here soon. (laughs) And, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things coming out. I think Chris Schwartz is going to release a a supplement to his anarchist design book. And he has taken a kind of 
an interesting take on the well stick chair. It's a little bit more simpler to build, um, but it kind of has the same form. And in some aspects, uh, at least to my aesthetic, I like some of the stuff that he did uh, better with the um, arm uh, arm bow and other things. And in fact, Chris Williams has taken on the challenge and is doing a similar uh, chair to what Chris did. And uh, I think it's really interesting. There's there are a lot more contemporary looking while still keeping the traditional form of the well stick chair. Almost like that, uh, like like Peter Galbert's modern take on the Windsor, where it's exactly. a little, a little yeah. bit more angular. It's still clearly a Windsor, but it's it's, mm-hmm. it's not all at the same time. Exactly. Okay. It's about the same thing. Yeah, I think um, the one Chris Williams has built is a lot of the traditional techniques that he puts in all his chairs, just a little bit more. I don't hate to keep using the word contemporary, but say a more contemporary angular type form. Um, Chris is similar and has that angular type form, but I think his is a little bit, is going to be probably a little bit simpler to build. Um, but I'm looking forward to both of them. And um, if you, um, uh, if you don't follow uh, Chris Williams, I believe on Instagram, he's the Welsh chair maker. I'll look that up when we're here in a second, but um he is uh, he he does great blog posts and really goes into a lot of detail on uh, what he's doing and how he's making these chairs. Very cool. Very cool. So, so with that, um, let's switch back yeah. to to our to our guest because um, I think at least what Keith's making is a little more in line with the things I'm making these days. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. I did have fun uh, browsing your Instagram account and uh, looking at all the things you did, and especially your, your website. That's a really fantastic website you have there. Oh, thank you very much. That, uh, that is regularly not being updated. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice it doesn't have your walnut dining table on it yet. It does not, and um, I had a couple up of the... The walnut li- did I even put any up of the walnut liquor cabinet yet? I-, I think there are some, but the photographer that took all the pictures, I wasn't really happy with them. So I'm gonna have to fly out to Cincinnati where it resides and take some more of my own uh, to update the website. Unfortunately, that's a yeah. that's a big trip for just photos. Well, it's my <laughs> it's a good <laughs> friend of mine where where it is out there, so it would, okay. it would be a multi prong trip. Well, do you? Do- uh, you do all your own photography? Yeah, the iPhone can be quite <laughs> quite a tool. Um, mm-hmm. I just happened to, on, on the, the liquor cabinet, I had a, a gift certificate from a, a photographer photography session. So I saved it for that <laughs> and was a little disappointed, unfortunately. Uh, but everything else is is shot on my phone. I have, I have, I shouldn't say everything. I do have a, a DSLR that some photos on my website were taken with, but it's just, I, I'm not very good with it. Uh, I need some, and everything I learned, I've taken classes, everything I learn, I forget immediately uh, in the manual setting. So with the iPhone, it's pretty dummy proof. And since yeah. you're creating RGB JPEGs anyway, they look beautiful on your, on the computer. It's so it's said for easier. Just letting the cat, letting the phone figure out how to take the picture for you. Again, this new portrait mode. Oh yeah, on yeah. The iPhone eight focuses what's in the in the near ground and blurs everything out and in the back. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I should probably spend a lot more time with my 
iPhone and because uh, I, I do have the well, I don't have the latest and greatest, but I do have the X, but 10, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just tend to say, all right, I just take a picture of Snap. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I see a lot of photos on Instagram that are like blurry and horrible, like they were taking, taking yeah. with, like a portal, I mean, a, uh, an old disposable camera. <laughs> and it's just like with the technology we have. It's mm-hmm. very easy to take a great photograph. Yeah, yes, but yeah. even just with cell phones, the vast majority of cell phones these days, like two, three years ago, they made a jump, and the vast mm-hmm. majority of them take very nice photos. Yeah, the only problem, like with the iPhone, I don't know, I don't know about the Samsung or or um, the others, but you know, it has problems taking photos in low lighting, where it starts to get really grainy. So. Right. You know, a lot of times you got to supplement with some lights. Uh, you know, if, if you're out with your friends at night, you're not going to get a good picture mm-hmm. with that because the right. flash just makes it look like everybody's got high beams on them. And but other phones take them very, very well at night. What I mean, I assume I maybe iPhone with the new. Oh, what is the new one called? The not XS. The, the XS. Yeah, the yes. In XS. So yeah, maybe that does it better. I'm not sure be interesting to see but i don't know yeah and diami i don't think is going to try out the iphone anytime soon no uh, you still got the StarTac, the motorola StarTac. that's it if, if i can't flip it, it i don't want it yeah it's got that uh, <laughs> retractable antenna beautiful yeah, uh, yeah but yeah. so your your website to get back to that for a second is mm. at least the pieces that are on it are freestanding furniture and a lot of built-ins. Correct. Um, if I understand, if I'm correct in what I think, you're building more freestanding furniture these days than built-ins. Is that right? Is it, are the built-ins kind of gone away, or do you still kind of jump between them? No, you nailed it. I back when I worked as a finished carpenter for my uncle, who's a contractor, oh, okay. like in, in between jobs. In I think it was 2004 to 2008. So we built custom homes, and he always gave me. Mm-hmm. Kind of those built-in projects or custom trim projects because that's what I like to do. So that's mm-hmm. where I kind of cut my teeth on that kind of thing, which is I love doing that stuff. And so forever or what I always wanted to do was mostly paint grade stuff, cabinets. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to touch anything that had a natural wood finish. I was scared to death of it. Mm-hmm. So as when I went back to corporate America and then I would take side jobs, uh, they were all built-ins and, and bookcases and everything paint grade. And then I don't, I'm not sure when the transition happened, but I think it was kind of when I got an Instagram where I started seeing all these amazing freestanding furniture pieces mm-hmm. and thought, man, I'd really like to try that. And the, the first piece I kind of built was with a slab of walnut that I bought at a woodworking show in Somerset, mm-hmm. which I may have been at that show. You probably were, <laughs> um, I think it was, I mean, it's on my feet, but I, I don't know, three or three years ago, maybe. And I made a bench out of it and I did a lot of things I had never done. You know, I did through wedge mortise and tendon. I did bent lamination. Uh, so I did a lot of different techniques that I'd never done before. And just the walnut just kind of captivated me. It just stole my heart. And ever since then, I've been building everything out of walnut unless client directed otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> So that's what it's come down to is more freestanding furniture and 
I just love the challenge of it. On every single project, I do something new. I try a different technique, a different joinery technique. So now that we're moving, things that's kind of kind of gone on, going to be on a hold, going to be put mm-hmm. on hold. Okay. We're moving into a new place, so there's nothing that needs to be done as far as home improvement. But there's a lot of cosmetic things I want to do as far as I want to do a. Uh, built-in bookcase home office kind of thing mm-hmm. and almost like an entryway uh, mudroom bench and then probably our walk-in closets i'll outfit all those as built-ins with drawers and and all those uh, creature comforts so there probably won't be any freestanding furniture again for a while until i build our own dining room table okay mm-hmm. now, yeah that makes sense for the for the foreseeable future then is it all back to work for yourself rather than work for clients? Yes. Unless, you know, something comes along that that uh, is just too good to pass up as far as the what it is, the project itself, or money-wise. I mean, right. I, you know, I, when people ask me, you know, about money or what you charge for this, I don't really like telling them because it's, it's, it's not applicable because I'm giving people a, a better price than you would right. normally get because I'm getting a lot more out of it than the money. I'm getting experience and I'm creating content, like okay. a lot of content from those builds. So I can see something and say, oh, man, I got, you know, I can make a video of that, 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 and that, and that. And like the walnut liquor cabinet I built, you know, I lost money on that job. But it didn't matter to me because in that span of eight months is really kind of where I I grew as a content creator and and just created a, a a ton of relationships on Instagram with with different people. It's 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 crazy. I, I mean, I I could probably drive across the country and sleep on a different table saw every <laughs> night with the amount of people that I know, and it's just been an right. unbelievable experience. And I'm sure you guys have 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 felt that too. Um, you just never. When I first started posting on Instagram, I had no idea there was even a community. I just saw like people sticker swapping. I was like, what is this? And <laughs> now, I mean, my wife was making fun of me for so long. You know, it's like, I'm like, I'm trading Pokemon cards <laughs> and different start, stickers in the mail, like with woodworking pen pals. And, <laughs> but it, it served as motivation because, you know, I have all these stickers in my shop now that cover my cabinets and I come out here every Every time I'm in the shop and I see all these people that are out there doing the same thing I'm doing, and it's mm. just it's very motivating, and it's it's very humbling too to have created so many relationships over there the last year or two. Yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. Absolutely. So, what is your ratio as far as building for clients versus building for you and your family? Well, like the last three, my last three builds were for clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last, and then the two before that were were for myself. See, I don't really, as far as furniture, like I mentioned, a dining room table. But other than that, I don't know what I would build as far as a freestanding piece for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, until we move into our new place, and I kind of know what we need. You know, I'd love to build a new, maybe a walnut buffet, right, for the dining room, or a new coffee table actually. So we'll see. I mean, I, I've had some interest in building a giant conference room table for a school at the beginning of next oh. year, which would be something 
way too big for my shop. Like, I know <laughs> that already. Oh, Why? what are you talking about? <laughs> the Omni can help you out with that. <laughs> I, could probably, I could stand it up maybe in my shop, but I wouldn't be able to lay it out flat. But luckily, I have um, a buddy of mine, who, uh, Fine Point Cabinetry, Kevin, who lives near where I work and kind of halfway between where I'm going to live and work, who's got a big shop. So there's potential we could team up together to do this this giant project if it if it comes to fruition so there's always options um which is great again this community just extends like there's people out there where if you don't have a tool someone else has one and i just take a drive and i go use it you know my buddy lives over in um over in bedford new york which is about a 20 minute drive from here and since i don't have a joiner on this wall on the dining table you know everything had to be jointed so I took all my lumber over there, and he let me have a four-hour kind of power session on his eight-inch helical joiner, and then just come back home, and I'm ready to roll again. So I don't, you know, you don't have to have all these tools because there's always someone around you that is willing to help because you probably have something that they need. Yeah. So they'll come over to your shop, and it's just kind of like a, not a barter system, but you learn from each other, and you, you know, mm. you borrow each other's tools. Well, so I noticed um, you have a. I guess you're you're a big fan of Festool, <laughs> and uh, who isn't? I mean, you're talking right. to two fans. But um, does that come come from your trim carpeting, trim carpenter background? Or are you doing a lot of on site work when you are doing the built ins? It's yes. I bought the the Festool <laughs> track saw twelve years ago. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Um, when I was as a finished carpenter and. Mm-hmm. I th- uh, the reason I had, I purchased it was I was doing a little side work at the time because the house, one of the custom houses we were building, they wanted a bookcase like out of mahogany made, and they didn't want it lumped into my uncle's tab of how the, the house was being built. So they asked me to as a side job to do it. Mm-hmm. So to cut down all this plywood, I said, you know what, I'm just going to spend the money and buy this track saw. And it is probably the greatest investment I've ever made in any tool. It is I use it on every project. So mm. when I was, and it came in so handy when you're doing installs. I mean, you, I'm sure you've seen tons of people and, and cabinet installers that when you're trying to install a custom cabinet, you got to trim, trim the bottom to match the floor or scribe it to right. the wall. It's just amazingly handy in so many situations. So that, that has been, it actually died on me uh, oh. probably six months ago. So I had to send it back to Festool, and they they fixed it. it I mean, it cost like three hundred fifty dollars, but I couldn't. How long did they I have struggled it? with it? I for twelve years. No, no. How long did Festool have it to fix it? Oh, a week. All right, that's not too bad. I, yeah, I, I'm, Kyle mentions that we're both fans, and I have more Festool in here than you can shake a stick at. But I'm a fickle fan. And some of their things I really love, Traxwell being one of them, some of the stuff I really don't like, and I've sold off a bunch of Festool stuff when I realized I didn't like it. Um, but, and to uh, to Wilbur Pan, that drill is underpowered. It's underpowered, Wilbur. Um, but, I'm sorry, I digress. Um, <laughs> but the CXS? Yeah. 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 That is one tool you do not need. No, no, no. It's a toy. It's, it's good for kids. Um, yeah. But, in any event, one of the... One of the things that I don't like about Festool um, is that it has to get sent back to them to fix. Um, I've grown up with a gentleman I like to call a toolmonger, but it's the local um, local power tool sales and repair shop. And I've known 
God, Henry's in his mid eighties now. And I've, I've probably known him my entire life. Um, and like with the exception of probably two routers that I own, I got every one from him used and I've gotten, I got so much stuff from him used that he's just rebuilt and I'm never afraid to break something and take it back to him and get it fixed. But with Festool doing all their stuff in house, um, mm-hmm. it just makes me nervous. It's not necessarily a bad system, but it's a system that I'm not familiar with. I like being able to go to a guy I know to fix my tools. So I was, I- I'm glad to hear that they turned it around in about a week. Yeah, it was very fast. But I mean, getting back to local repair guys, my Capex, I busted the, I had a piece of kickback and it broke, uh, where the dust chute is. Like there's that plastic housing that surrounds everything, like where mm-hmm. the handle is and the trigger. And I was like, Oh, I'll just buy it. It's just a housing. I'll buy it and replace it. And it comes in these two giant, and you have to disassemble the entire saw. It, it, it's just impossible. So there's a guy, uh, Tool Town is the name of the place. It's near Paramus, New Jersey. I brought it in there. He fixed the whole thing, took the whole thing apart, and you have to recalibrate the laser when you put it back together. Um, but there are guys who will service them. You don't necessarily have to send it send it back. I mean, but if you're under the warranty, it just pays to send it back. Oh, yeah, free. yeah. Except no, for the certainly. shipping, you have to pay to ship it out there. <laughs> of course, you do. Which is the kicker because you got to ship to Indianapolis. So trying to get that, you know, I ship mine through work, so it was a lot cheaper. We have a corporate rate, but if you're just a regular guy trying to ship a TS seventy five halfway mm. across the country, UPS ground, it's expensive. Do you ship yeah. it in the uh, in the sustainer? I yes, just slap the label right on there. <laughs> No, no, you have to put it in a box. <laughs> well, I, I know. No, I, I figured do, you no, put you do, this. They want it in the sustainer, and they want the power cords. They want kind of everything relevant to the machine. Okay. Mm. So shipping could be very expensive. I forget what it was shipping yeah. back. I don't think it was that egregious, but shipping but back, someone, you're paying their corporate rate. I'm assuming. I, I think so. I think so. I, I don't recall, but you know, I had to. I had to battle it out in my head like should i just buy a new one or pay the 350 to to fix it and you know it was like well, five on for ts55 and i just i just couldn't justify it mm-hmm. no. so i fixed it and you know we we've been through thick and thin me and this ts55 so <laughs> figured i owed it to her to uh <laughs> get her all shiny and new again You've done the built-ins um, as, a, as an outgrowth from your trim carpentry work. Mm-hmm. You built stuff for commission. Um, your house is furnished. You don't need a commission. You just want to build something for the excitement of building it and the joy of having whatever it is. It doesn't fill a need in the house. It's just something you want. What would you mm-hmm. build? I think it would be either a new entertainment center or a new dining room table. Um, the entertainment center, just because I'd love to, like I've never hand cut a dovetail. There's a lot of things I've never done uh, as a woodworker. So mm-hmm. it would be a project that I would want to be able to do new things, but also showcase what skills that I do have already. So mm-hmm. I think with a, an entertainment center, there's so many different things you could do with, if you did drawers or you did sliding panel doors that have a uh, not a screen but almost you know because you're going to need to kind of see through and let some ventilation in there so 
messing around with those kind of details and design ideas. Mm-hmm. And the base, you could do anything with that, you know, tapered legs or square legs or uh, bent lamination to give a curve. So, but that's that's always my sticking point is the design. Like, I just can never, f- I'm not a des- a super creative guy. So coming up with that final design is always difficult. So, you know, like anyone else, you go Google images, you're like, I like mm-hmm. this of that one, I like this part of that one and this aspect. So you kind of meld them into your own design. And then as you start building, you're like, man, that's crap. That's not going to work. So you redesign, <laughs> or as I call prototyping. Exactly. And which is, if you have, it's much easier for me to walk into the shop with drawing, you know, drawings and plans and build something. But if I walk out with just an idea and a general sketch, that's where things, they go off the rails a little bit, but in a good way. Okay. Uh, because they, it makes, like I'll lie in bed at night and think of an idea and I, I won't let it die until I try it. So if I can go out in the shop and experiment and try this and I like that, I don't like that. And then finally, once you end up with that end product you're like i tried everything else that i wanted to try and i didn't like any of it and this is what i ended up with and you're you know i'm happy with it to try so that's kind of what i did Go ahead. in that process to try it do you have to try it full size do you can you sketch out a bunch of copies and oh, i tried that one i tried that one this is the one i like or what do you have to do to reach the point where you satisfied yourself that you've tried it i need it full size uh in 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 its form how it would be finished um oh, okay. uh, Mm-hmm. Like on the walnut liquor cabinet, I was, I, I was experimenting with a bunch of different door pull designs on what would fit with the design. Mm-hmm. So, I think I did three different ones. And the first one, which a friend of mine now has out in in uh, Illinois in his shop, is like a souvenir. But <laughs> it was I had this in my mind as a round thing with a with a horizontal. Um, kind of insert, so you'd open it, and it, when it was all done, it just. It looked like something that would be on the door of a giant Benihana or Chinese restaurant. Like it, <laughs> it just didn't fit the piece at all. But it was out of my head. I was like, that is not going to work. What I thought was going to be a cool idea. It looks cool, but it doesn't fit the piece. Mm-hmm. So then I went down another road where I, I created a cove on the table saw and and with another little profile on it. And that's what it ended up being what my first idea was. Okay. Which is – it. You know, it's funny. It generally works out that way. It's like your first, your gut instinct on it is where I end up going. But I got to get all the other ideas out of my head before I can really be committed to it. Mm-hmm. Are your designs, like you said, like you look at different styles that you like on Google Image Search or something similar to that and then kind of take what you like from this one and this one to create your own design? Are right. you taking plans do you ever just whole cloth create it from scratch um, or usually you're taking kind of picking and choosing from other designs to create a composite for your own design? I think a lot of the things I look at are just ideas like, okay, that was uh, he used uh, this type of joint in that area. Like I'll never take ev- like an app. If I were to look at three pieces of furniture completely different, I wouldn't take that from that one and that from that one and that one from the other one and combine them into my own. Like I try to take – that's a tough way, to, tough thing to describe. But just different design ideas and techniques and put it into the idea that I have in, in my head. Like the – I'm trying to think of a, of a good example. 
Um, I mean, everything comes back to that walnut liquor cabinet. It's like, <laughs> um, but the well, what you, yeah, what are you using to put these designs pencil to paper? Using SketchUp, I assume, or something like that. I like to use SketchUp uh, mm -hmm. for absolutely because that gives me a mm -hmm. rough idea to walk out into the shop with. I do hand sketch. I have a kind of a little sketchbook that I'll I'll use for mm -hmm. some preliminary ideas to kind of get those out of my head or sitting at the office and I'll grab a poster. I'm on the ride home. I keep paper in the car and like steering with one knee and I'm drawing something with the other. And whenever something comes into my head, I try to get it on paper because otherwise I'll forget it. Um, but when it, like I said, I'm not that creative of a guy. I'm not like Jory Brigham who's got all these just amazing things you look at and you just can't stop looking at it, trying to figure out how the heck he did it. Um, I, I come from more of a square square line background like you said with the built-ins and bookcases where everything is square and flat and i've done some some curve things which i i do like doing it's great to experiment with bent lamination and i've done a little steam bending were we uh, talking about power carving at maker fair yeah, we mentioned well because we we talked about the Arbitech booth, and then we had mentioned your your handle that I think you had power carved for your grinder. Yeah, you need to do more of that to get away from the square. Okay, just get a block <laughs> of wood and and carve it, and just take a stump and you do a stump. You just get a two by four and and create. take a take a wheel to it and see what happens. Yeah, you were doing the what the headphone stand. Yeah, I, I'm still doing that. <laughs> I, I say that the first one is done. The yeah. second one I've roughed out on the bandsaw and it's now time to take the power carving tools to it. And then somehow I'm going to give them as a gift to, to somebody who doesn't know it yet. Um, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> anytime. Um, and it's going to be to a husband and wife and I need to as subtly as I can, or maybe I'll just break down and, and say it. But I need to find out if they want them to be two separate ones or like one kind of back to back. Mm -hmm. And then if they if they're going to be one, I need to find a way to kind of meld them together. So right now, I just have the part that sticks out and holds the headphones. I I need to make some sort of a stand for them. It's going to be like a desktop thing. So, but that's from start to finish. That project will be a couple years because it's just a when I'm frustrated and come in the shop and you just kind of tweak it a little bit. And it's it's a wonderful way to just. All the frustration melts away, and you're just you're just creating. It's there. I I can't express enough how much I enjoy to just get in the shop and take a power carver to something and see what happens. And I highly recommend it to everyone, especially as as you were saying, Keith. With you know, you're kind of doing a lot of rectilinear work, um, mm -hmm. and a lot of furniture needs to be rectilinear. I mean, you can't make a wavy table that functions really well as a table. So I'm not I'm not suggesting that there isn't a place for rectilinear work, but if you're intrigued by curves, get a power carver and just play with it for a little while. Mm. Especially if you're doing this whole move thing, like yeah. you can take a grinder and a power carving wheel and literally just two by fours and spend an hour putting your shop away and then just play with it for 20 minutes before you go in and you'll, you'll have created something and it's, it's very worthwhile. Just don't do it inside your shop. No, well, inside the no. shop. What about the living room? <laughs> living room would be fantastic. As long as it's carpeted anyway. 
Well, it's funny because I was I was the tabletop for that walnut pedestal table. I was routing in the basement. Now we have mm-hmm. a finished basement, but it's all tile and there's nothing really down there. It's just, mm-hmm. The laundry's down there. I can't tell you how many people are like, "Your wife's letting you do that in the <laughs> in the house." And like, I, I mean, what? I'm not in the bedroom. We don't have carpet. I mean, I don't know what communist regime everyone else lives <laughs> under, but my wife doesn't really care. As long as I clean up, I'm more re- anal about, you know, yeah. leaving a mess than she is. So she's like, I, I don't care. As long as it's clean when you're done, what's the difference? Uh, I don't know. I just, I got a kick out of so many people commenting on that. Um, but I mean, I've, I've had the, this entertainment center I built was, I had pieces in the dining room, on the deck, in, mm. in the, uh, <laughs> In, in the basement, they were everywhere. It's just, you know, that comes with living yeah. with a woodworker. Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, there are just certain operations I hate, even in my own shop. I like, all right, as soon as I do this, then it's time to break out the leaf blower and go oh, through the shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I put the uh, shop back on suck to blow, turn the hoses around, and send it down yeah. the street. Exactly. So, yeah. Anyway, well, you know, I should have done that it, it, with my dust collectors. I, when I built the dust collector, I should have built it so I could connect an actual hose. Oh, yeah. to the outboard. Like I, it's the way it's yeah. pipes now. I'd have to repipe it. Like I'm not. I'm not going to do that now. But it would have made a kick-ass blower. Yeah, I'm like a fire hose. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, I also noticed you're a big woodpeckers fan too. <laughs> Got a lot of red anodized aluminum. I do. Out. Uh, it's funny cause I, I bought my first woodpecker tool probably, probably around the same time I brought, I bought that Festool track saw 11 or 12 years ago. And now, uh, I have a relationship with them, you know, so I create content for them. Um, mm-hmm. I get, I see all the one-time tools before anyone else there, you know, there's a group of us and right. kind of social media um content creators so we get all these tools ahead of time and get to mess around with them and create videos for them so it's 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 one of those incredible things where you you, you just look yeah. up, or you just your favorite tool and you look up to them forever and then you you find up end up working with them so it's it's been kind of a dream come true for me um okay can i be selfish absolutely uh, one the one-time tool they made a little stubby marking gauge I would kill to have one of those. Stubby marking gauge. Oh, yeah. the uh, I think I know which one you're talking about. And yeah. I think they – some of them, like like two months ago, they came out and said, we have some extra things left on the shelf of these one-time tools. Mm-hmm. And I think that was one of them. And oh, I tried it. to get one. <laughs> they were gone as almost as fast as the uh, email went out to everybody. Oh, man. Unfortunately. Man. Well, I need to bring that one back. So I noticed you were you were been uh, on your Instagram feed. You've been playing around with the odd job. I know a couple of people have reproduced that, but mm-hmm. uh, the one Woodpecker came out with because I got like a small and a large one. Right. I've always wondered how those how those work and if. Uh, but you know, some of the other I guess um, reissues of that didn't didn't look that that uh, well done. But I think the one that Woodpeckers uh has put out looked interesting but anyway which one were you um you had a there's a small one and a large one were you Mm -hmm. playing around with the large one or was that the small one no that was the small one okay i mean it's extremely well made just like 
mm-hmm. every one of their tools. Uh, I mean, there's several functions on there that you would probably never use. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. anyone's going to use that for a plumb bob or right. for a level. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the features on there, you know, if you don't have, like, because I have a lot of woodpeckers things, but if you don't have a lot of things and you just yeah. want one thing that does many functions, could you that? Just- would serve the purpose. Could you see yeah. taking out taking it out into the field to carry less and just have this one thing that does a lot? It would definitely fit in your tool belt um, mm-hmm. without a problem. Uh, the XL probably not so much. That yeah. would need a holster. <laughs> but yeah, the, the regular size version would fit in a tool belt. Uh, and for yeah. a finish, kind of for a finish carpenter or whatever, where you're, I mean, and everybody. You know, I have to deal with this all the time. We're like, oh, I could spend 10 minutes in the shop and make my own little thing. Or why is it so expensive? And I mean, this company creates niche tools for people who want niche tools. They're not trying to appeal to everybody. Like I don't walk into the Ferrari dealership and say, your car is way too expensive and walk out. I I mean, but people are just constantly like, these are way too expensive. I I can't afford them. Mm I don't know what to tell you. We're not, you know, they're not trying to market to every single person, right? Just like they, anything else. Yeah, they they have come out with some tools, and I think uh, Diami and me criticized them about uh, I don't know two one time tools ago. But mm-hmm. and it may just be, hey, we're you know we're we're woodworkers. We're not people out in the field, so maybe it's not. But they had some sort of like multi tool that I just thought was a little bit too big and too ridiculous but oh the um, six in one tool yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah probably it but the odd job i can really see that because i've always been kind of fascinated that you know when stanley came out with it i go that looks to be a, a an interesting tool like diami said to take out into the field or something like that and have a you know i don't think i need one because i could probably do all those functions with other you know single purpose tools that i have but are mm-hmm. marking marking tools but um, it is it is kind of interesting tool. Yeah, I mean it's it's cool because it's it it's also a compass or a beam compass, which is a neat little feature. Um, you know, you can turn. Uh, it has an extension that's a it's actually a little point like a scribe, so you can use it as a scribe. So there's a lot of cool features. I mean, the six in one tool. Yeah, that, it's funny. I get these tools and. Even mm. as a woodworker, I have to read the instruction manual to figure out <laughs> what everything that it does because they're 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 engine you know they're yeah. I, don't know, I mean they're kind of over engineered a lot of times. Oh, they're ridiculously engineered, which is the joy yeah. of it. When um, yeah, what- talking to them years and years ago, I, I'm I'm embarrassed that I'm forgetting the the founder's name. Um, I can picture him and his wife, but I ran into him at the first woodworking in America in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And they had like the the toolmakers thing where you could get into the um, the marketplace on Thursday night, and we spent forty five minutes talking about the way they make this stuff. And I went from thinking, "Oh my god, is this overpriced?" to "How does he put bread on the table?" It's so tedious to make these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and from the I the very first one I got, I bought actually from Kersworz when he was having his uh, tool tool sale, yard sale, whatever he called it probably almost 10 years ago. And for the life of me, I don't understand why he got rid of it and replaced it with a stupid wooden tri-square. Um, <laughs> this thing is a piece of art. It's it's just, it's amazing how well machined these things are. So while some of them are like so esoteric and 
so specialized that if I don't specifically need mm-hmm. it, I'm never going to break down and buy it. But at the same time, I don't for a second begrudge them the cost. They put so much work into these things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Every one of them is built like a like a like a tank and like a piece of art at the same time. Yeah, and and they're so accurate. I mean, I had that little uh, angle gauge that they came out with as a one time tool that I got on a deal um, when they were closing up a booth. Uh, I think it was a woodworking in America. And, uh, I mean, I don't use it a lot, but when I do use it, it is so nice and it just registers perfectly. You can get an angle of a chisel or anything you need to, but, um, yeah. And it is extremely well engineered. <laughs> yes. I mean, they yeah. have, I mean, they're truly, I yeah. think the people who are designing these are engineers. They're not woodworkers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, right. You know, yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of checks and balances there, whereas you know they show them to woodworkers and they're like, "Whoa, dude, let's let's, let's dial this back a notch here. We're not, you know, these aren't going into space for astronauts. <laughs> these are for woodworkers." Yeah, I really don't need 164th on this, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take it. No, I'll take it. <laughs> or, or I, I, I'm, I think I'm being facetious here because I think I got one of their little rules, and I think it, it's one of those where you stick the pencil in and. And, uh, you know, it's got the little holes. I want to say, right. I want to say it might go to one, one twenty eighth. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that good enough for you or you want to go? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's two fifty six, two fifty six. Yes, exactly. 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 So, so I want to talk a little bit, uh, with you before, before we wrap up about, um, your finishing techniques. I noticed that, um, yeah, you're on the Osmo bandwagon. I've been on it for a couple of years myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm real, also really interested on how you're finishing uh, those built-ins. Because okay. um, it looked like, at least from the pictures, you had perfect matching on the trim. Were you uh, using, and I'm thinking about doing something similar, Are you were you using like oil-based paints or were you uh, lacquer-toned? or or? I used or, to use yeah. uh, Benjamin Moore Satin Impervo which mm-hmm. was an oil-based paint, mm-hmm. and I loved it. However, mm-hmm. if, you've ever, <laughs> if you've ever used oil-based paint, it, it levels beautifully, it looks beautiful, but it takes forever in between coats. Right. Because you know, that stuff has to dry, and it's just a pain. And I think it's, I think it's illegal to buy now unless you say you're using it for metal. Like, you can't... The last time I went to buy a gallon, the mm-hmm. guy said, I can't sell you that. I said, Why not? He goes, that's illegal. What, what are you using it for? And I said, well, I'm painting in your trim. <laughs> he said, I can only sell it to you if, you, if you're going to use it for metal. Otherwise, it has to be a, a quart. Yes. So, all right. I'm painting <laughs> 20 sheets huh. of sheet metal. I, I, and so after, at that point, I was like, you know what? I really would prefer a sprayer. Like I'm tired of – because it would – the uh, I did a home office bookcase in the house we live in now, and it when I every coat took me three hours to make my way around and through, and then back around. Mm. It's like this is just, and that was one coat. Now generally with that stuff you only need two. Sometimes you can get away with one because it goes on so thick. Um, but I was like, I need a sprayer, so I bought a an Erlex three stage, okay. which I don't even think they make anymore. Like the the smaller portable ones, a two stage, and then there's the four stage. Mm-hmm. And that machine changed my life. Like I went all water base after that. 
because I wasn't going to spray. I didn't want anything to do with solvent-based finishes because okay. of, number one, the cleanup that's involved and the ventilation that's involved and any other mm-hmm. health hazards that or fire hazards uh, where there's a potential for that. So I, I went down the general finishes road immediately. They're, they're like what they call milk bar. paint. What they, okay, what's that? Yeah. Yeah, uh, what like they, they're in Duravar, what is there? Is there clear? But yeah, their milk paint yes. is acrylic. Yeah. So I, you, yeah. I I started off with that and and the uh, the high performance, mm-hmm. water based satin high performance, which is just goes down beautifully. And then I started because I went back to Benjamin Moore, and now if I'm going to spray anything, I use Benjamin Moore Advance, uh, which is a wonderful. Um, it's I think it is an acrylic. Um, enamel mm-hmm. it's, it's water-based though so you only have to thin it a little bit even with the three stage with the four stage you may not even have to thin it okay wow. but that stuff goes down so nice and levels out beautifully and then i top coat it i usually mm-hmm. hit it depending on what it is if it's a if it's something's going to get a lot of wear i'll hit it with four or five coats of that general general uh finishes high performance and i use the high performance because it's clear and won't yellow right i have Wars in my shop that I sprayed with the uh, the enduro the, mm-hmm. the yeah enduro var or something like that yeah and I sprayed it with the high performance one's yellow yeah. and one isn't one's, oh wow so I learned my lesson with that uh, to mm-hmm. always and the stuff I but then for years I just did that I sprayed everything so all those built-ins on on the on the website, like the trim and everything is all pre-finished and then installed on site. Okay. And, you know, Pat, you know, if there were any nail holes, I'll just fill them with a little putty or, uh, like a putty stick mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to hide those holes. But yeah, anytime you can just pre-finish everything, it just looks beautiful and smooth right. rather than, I mean, a lot of people like that hand painted look with the brush strokes. Mm-hmm. I do not. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah, I did. Uh, golly, I forgot who the manufacturer was, but I did. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier one of the uh, chairs I, I painted with this. It's called cabinet trim, but I forgot who made it. But it is a water-based finish, but it just dries to almost a porcelain-like finish. Oh, I mean, right. it is it is very tough, and you don't have to top coat it. Um, Anyway. Yeah, with the advance, you probably don't have yeah. to top coat. Uh, mm-hmm. Most people, I mean, obviously, if you're going to use that for trim in a house, but the painters aren't going around with a spray or top coating everything. But when I do right. a built-in like that, I just like that added protection, just in case. Yeah, and I would probably, I would probably use that as one of my go-to finishes if I could spray it. Mm-hmm. But uh, the only way you can spray it is with the airless. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, because this stuff is thick. It's too thick. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't really want to invest in a, in a decent airless sprayer. You know, I have the, I have the, the you know, the bottom of the line Erlix, the little two stage unit, and I've sprayed some stuff with that, and I've been perfectly happy with it. But you, you definitely can't go very thick on that at all. Okay. Now tell me, tell me about your your venture into Osmo. So I've. My previous pieces that I've done that were walnut, I've used Rubio Monocoat, which I love. It's a great product, and a lot of people don't like the smell. I love the smell. I think it should be a cologne. I think they should make candles out of it. It's just, I love it. Every time I use it, the whole house is just singing with with Rubio. I love it. 
So I did a couple test pieces for the walnut pedestal table. I did Rubio, I did Festool Surfix, and I did Osmo. And I'd seen Osmo, but not much, just a smattering mm-hmm. of it on Instagram. And it was kind of mostly by Canadians because it wasn't yeah. that well or widely available in the U.S. Yeah, when I first saw it, I saw it by Australian uh, Windsor chair makers were using it. That's, <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> And the other one I wanted, I tried was uh, the Odie's. So I tried all four, and mm-hmm. Odie's is is a process um, where you have to put down kind of the penetrating oil, and then the oil, and then the butter, and it's just if like the guys, if you guys know Urban Timber out in Columbus, Ohio, they just mainly do a lot of giant live edge tables. Okay. So if you're doing flat surf, giant flat surfaces where you're just put a coat on, flip the whole thing over and do the other side. It's a lot easier. But when you're doing furniture where there's a lot of nooks and crannies and corners to get into, that uh, it just it didn't work for what I wanted it to do. And when I tested all four of these finishes on walnut with sapwood, the only one that didn't yellow and orange the sapwood was the Osmo. Mm-hmm. So it kept it the clearest uh, and most natural look of it. I have a walnut bench that I did a few years ago i did the whole top with uh rubio and i had some bow ties in there that were maple and my wedged mortise and tenons that came through the wedges were maple mm-hmm. they are orange two years later they look they look like cherry almost hmm. uh, like they've darkened up so right. much and which looks okay because sometimes the contrast of maple and walnut is a little too much but I didn't want that to happen with this table. There wasn't that much sapwood on it, but there is one some right on the edge of the table, and I didn't want that turning orange, and the client didn't either. Mm-hmm. So, but again, I, I don't have – who knows what it's going to look like in a couple years. I don't know. But all I know is all the other finishes except Osmo oranged right away. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So maybe they'll well, get a year or two out of this one, and then. <laughs> <laughs> well, see. well, my my favorite thing about Osmo is you don't have to sand between coats. Uh, mm-hmm. It just saves a lot of time. But what I've found, and I know some other people have found different things, and maybe it's what I'm doing, doing a lot of stuff over milk paint or or whatnot. But I find when I put the Osmo in, I got to do it section by section, and as yeah. soon as I put it on, I got to wipe it off immediately. I know yeah, the the instructions. The instructions say, leave it on for five minutes. The first time I did that, it took like six months for the stuff to cure. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not lying, about six months. But I found if you just wipe it on and wipe it off almost just as fast. Um, and I usually do, uh, for the stuff I do, I usually, I heard that they now have a, uh, at least I've seen on the website, they have a, finally a true satin finish. Okay. Uh, yeah, before I've been using what they call satin slash matte, which is really a matte finish. And I've put two coats of that on followed by one coat of gloss. And it kind of gave me what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, my favorite, like I said, my favorite part about it is, you know, once you understand the learning curve of how to apply it, um, mm-hmm. not having to sand between coats is just a lifesaver for me. I've always hated doing that. That's why you're uh, shellac. <laughs> <laughs> And I'll try not to get on my soapbox about yeah. this, but that that is one of my biggest pet peeves with these oil wax finishes is there are so many different theories on how they should be applied. And mm-hmm. it's not really clear on the packaging. Right. Each 
rep or that you talk to tells you a different way. There are demonstrations on YouTube or wherever show you a different way to do it. Now, the way I applied Osmo, which was when I talked to my rep, mm-hmm. was like you said, you got to work small areas, put it on, and then wipe it off using a lint-free cloth. I used a microfiber cloth um, in the direction of the grain to kind of get off the excess. Because if you don't, mm. that stuff tacks up right. quickly. It's yeah. not like Rubio. Rubio does not tack up that fast. This tacks up so fast, you got to get it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was talking to a buddy of mine in Canada, Kyle at Fairhurst, Fairhurst Woodworks, and his rep up there says, no, no, you want to put it on and let it soak in and then just kind of wipe it with the grain a little bit. Um, but you want to kind of leave a film on there because that's where you're going to get the most protection. And I was like, but if you do that, then it's not as smooth as when you buff off the excess. So I'm still experimenting with mm-hmm. how this should really be done. And what I did on this table was I did two coats. And I know you said you don't sand in between, but I do. I give it, I mean, just a a scuff of like 400. Mm-hmm. Or I like taking those extra fine sanding sponges mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. running once in each direction, or running once down in each direction. And then I did the final coat with their top oil, which is um, yeah, a little I've seen that. different than the Pollux. Yeah. And I haven't it, used it, but I've seen it, yeah. So I supposedly it's it's a little more durable. Um, but even my rep said, you know, three coats max mm-hmm. on this product. You know, and a lot of they all say, you know, one, you know, monocoat, one coat, but mm-hmm. in the liquor cabinet I use Rubio. I did three coats. And a lot of okay. guys have issues with multiple coats. I think mm-hmm. uh, BJ Mac had issues, but I, I don't really know the whole story behind that. But I've never had an issue putting multiple coats with okay. these products cool. on there. Yeah. Diami's going to love this conversation, but what are you using to apply <laughs> the, because what I use is the little, I use a little, the, the white, um, scotch, bright, scotch, bright. And, mm-hmm. uh, that's what I used to put it on. So maybe that's why I, I don't notice any difference between Sandy between coats. Cause I kind of has a little bit of abrasive when you I rough it, it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what I, I do is I, I pour some on, and then I use my old expired Connecticut license, like a trowel. Okay. And I wipe it in all the way around, and then I use the white Scotch-Brite in a circular motion yeah. and work it in, and then wipe off the excess and go to the next mm-hmm. to the next area. Um, sometimes, I mean, I have done it where I've taken that white Scotch-Brite and stuck it to the bottom of my uh, Festool sander. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Make sure you un- take the vacuum off of it. <laughs> and, <laughs> How do you and, uh, know that? <laughs> uh, well, the inside of my hose has a lot of Rubio in it. From <laughs> and I had to buy a new pad. Uh, and I use that to kind of work it around if I don't feel like doing it by hand. But it's it's essentially the same thing. And then, yeah, I'll wipe off the excess. And that stuff, you know, that's what's great about it is eight hours later you can put on another coat. Um, All right. I've never used a Rubio, but, yeah, I've heard – I don't know. It's it's. I I think I should I should just uh, listen to people. Find a finish that works for you and just stick and with it. That wouldn't be you, Kyle. <laughs> yes, that would <laughs> not be me. I'm always, speaking of which, uh, the paint I was talking about earlier. I didn't want to leave any of our listeners hanging. Is uh, called C two paint. So if you're interested in that, they got all kinds of paint. But I'm talking about their cabinet and trim paint. But you can find that at C two. The number two 
C2Paint.com. That's the name of the company? Yep, C2Paint. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, this is one of these low VOC type uh, paints. But like I said, I was just so impressed with the hardness of the finish when it dried. It was just, yeah, it was like, mm-hmm. you know, they say, hey, you know, I heard some some comments. Hey, the finish is like porcelain. Yeah, it's that's not, that's true. It's like porcelain. <laughs> I haven't had any of it, you know, chip or, and it's on some chairs that have been treated uh, rather roughly, but I haven't had any issues with the finish. So anyway, uh, um, so um, Diami, any questions for Keith that you have? <laughs> um, <laughs> now that we went down the whole Osmo, uh, sell me on these silly wax combination <laughs> finishes. Like, what's wrong with shellac? I've never used shellac, yeah. so I can't even compare the two. I'm hearing um, this and. Just, I, I'm not yeah. going to convince Kyle clearly. Um, but yeah. when I put shellac on, I'm wiping on. I start with two courses of quarter pound cut, and then I switch to a half mm. pound cut. I never go heavier than half pound cut. You're talking about how in eight hours you can put a second coat on. I'm doing twelve coats in about eight hours. Um, mm-hmm. Every thirty to forty five minutes, I can put a new coat on, and through all that. If I mess something up, maybe I'll stand in between coats once. But as a general rule, you're not standing in between coats. Um, I, I've heard varying things about how well shellac handles wear. I'd, I'd try it on a seat, and I might find that the seat wears out a little bit. I might have to do something different. But mm-hmm. in terms of mm-hmm. non-sitting furniture, anything but a, but a kitchen table, it is my go-to finish. So each coat burns into the next, right? Yes. Yep. So what do you do with a scratch or a repair? I don't scratch my furniture. I love my oh, furniture. Oh, right. I forgot you walk around with a Nerf suit on. <laughs> uh, I, so far, I've not. I, honestly, I've not had to fix it. Um, what I would do is take that particular surface and clean it nicely and probably just apply another coat. So it would blend in without, it should, without it, a problem. Well, yeah. Um, it, whenever I do my dye... That's what I'm. Mm-hmm. I'm using dyed shellac as my as my dye. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll add trans tint to shellac, and you can with the with the color added to it, you can clearly see how it blends into itself and melts. Because mm-hmm. I'll put a fir- I typically do two coats of dyed shellac and then clear shellac over that, and the sometimes when I put the second coat of color on, I'll get some uh, to use you know an expensive finishing term. I'll get some holidays in the color where mm-hmm. I didn't have them before because I've been a little too aggressive wiping on the second coat and it'll literally wipe off the original coat because they're all blending together and turning, you know, liquid again for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to be a little careful, but by building up multiple layers, um, I find it, it builds a nice and 12 layers of half pound shellac is still a very thin, it is a film finish, but it's, it's yeah. very thin. It's pretty bare to the wood. Um, I'll typically mm-hmm. wax over that. Um, Mm-hmm. But it's not like yeah. twelve layers of poly where it's this plasticky thing, right? And you know, as I said, I, I can do twelve I like, layers in a day, so that's what I tend to do because it's so damn fast. Yeah, I like shellac. I've used it numerous times, and I always use it for. Um, you know, I got shellac out in the shop right now, um, both in flake and the um, uh, Zinzer product that you know I find uses for all the time. But I guess. If I had any detractions from shellac, 
is it's a little bit harder to apply. Uh, there's definitely a learning curve if it's a not a real thin coat, um, but um, it is. Uh, well, let me say it doesn't handle different chemicals as well as some of the other finishes. True. And it's very, very shiny, so you're always having to rub it out for a more um, satin or matte sheen to it. Fair enough. Do you, I, yeah. 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 I, I guess the, those are my detractors for it. Um, you know, but I think it's a very positive finish. It's very easy. It's very safe. Um, you know, talk about uh, a finish that's completely food safe. I mean, what? You know. Pills are covered in shellac, so there's nothing more food safe than shellac. But yeah, I think it's just its durability with certain chemicals, um, and um, another step when you're done of having to then rub out the finish with uh, steel wool or or um, you know something of that nature to you know kind of dull it out. And I think usually it's kind of best when there's a uh, when it's rubbed out with a wax over it. Which then means you're committed to rewaxing furniture, which, mm. yeah. Right. So, I don't know. There's pros and cons there, too. And, you know, I've done that. I have some furniture that I've actually waxed. I like the way it looks. And as long as it's not used heavily, which this isn't, I haven't had to rewax it. And it's been, you know, sitting there for a couple of years, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, that's just my opinion. I'm sure <laughs> others others will disagree. Um, I, just I think finishing is is like sharpening in that there's a thousand mm-hmm. ways to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like I said, people say just find something that works for you and stick with it. So I say stick with the shellac. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So with that. So with that said, do we want to move on to our fortnightly beer choices? It seems like a fortnight to me. All right. All right. Well, I guess I'll start off. So I'm drinking um, Oktoberfest because it is October. Um, I hope you're getting some Oktoberfest up there. Is there a chill in the air for you, Diani? Uh, there isn't, but I went to a really good German restaurant last Friday, and we had Oktoberfest there. They they they, they have their own brewery. In in the you know it's a little microbrew in the restaurant and they make it a nice nice Oktoberfest. Well, I'm drinking a St. Arnold's Oktoberfest, which is a more of a malty, uh, full bodied Oktoberfest than a lot of them. It has a lot of malt in there, and I really like it. Um, St. Arnold Brewery is a local Texas brewery, and uh, um, but I think you can pretty much find their um, beers all over. Uh, okay. They're they're a mid-sized brewery. They're not like a, you know, small brewery. And in fact, and I think on their cap, their bottle cap, it says, let me read it here. 2017 mid-sized brewing company of the year from the Ooh. great American beer festival. That's exactly. some big award. I, I think so. But, uh, no, it's a, it's a great beer. Um, and it's like, again, St. Arnold's Oktoberfest. So what about you, Diami? I am keeping it to the extreme microbrew that only like five people who listen are going to be able to buy, and I apologize for that. But it's not six uh, points. It's not six points. No, this wow. is um, this is a combination. It is a collaboration, rather, of Destination Unknown, which is a tiny little brewery that's about ten minutes from my house, and Big Alice Brewery, which is also a fairly small brewery that is in Long Island City. 
uh, which is in Queens for those of you who don't live in New York. Um, it is the uh, Aren't You Glad We Brewed an IPA, New England style double <laughs> IPA with with blood orange and grapefruit, and it is a good citrusy IPA. Um, not quite Ooh, like as light and refreshing as say the Citradelic is, but mm-hmm. um, still got a nice citrus kick to it. It's a double IPA, so it's a little bit heavier than uh, than something like the Citradelic, but it's a nice mm-hmm. solid beer and. To have local guys who make a nice solid beer, I'm very supportive of. So, I I would recommend it. So, Keith, what about you? Do you have a uh, a drink to recommend? It doesn't have to be beer. Well, yes, I I don't drink, but I am double fisting. Uh, first, I have a little cup of Kion K I O N coffee which is actually extremely irresponsible of me because I will be up all night. <laughs> and uh, some LaCroix Pamplemousse Grapefruit Seltzer, which is my favorite. Pamplemousse. I'm a big LaCroix fan too, but I don't think I've seen the Pamplemousse. Oh, it's it's a wow. real treat. I that I like the coconut deep. version too. Mm-hmm. I like the peach pears, my favorite. The, the... Peach pear? I've never seen that one. Hey, Man, it must be pear. regional. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we, we need to seltzer swap. Yeah. I'll send you a 12-pack. and Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. We get the peach pear down here, and it's it's a, it's an interesting uh, combination. So. All right. But back when I did drink, uh, you know, you guys just mentioned it, and you mentioned it last week, is the Six Point. Mm, the mm. Six Point Sweet Action. Oh, that that's was, good. That was my, you know, because who doesn't like saying, give me some sweet action? <laughs> <laughs> but that was just my, my – and at, at this time of year, I was always just counting the days for Pumpkinhead until that came out. Because I was a big <laughs> fan of the pumpkin beers. Years ago, I would absolutely have agreed with you. I guess I'm just reacting to the fact that there are a thousand of them now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, we're, mm-hmm. they're saturated. I, I see them in the stores. Uh, but no, a decent pumpkin can be a decent full beer. I'll, I'll give you that. But these they're so easy to screw up. It's unbelievable how many I tried. I was like, are you? how, how is this possible? Just put a little pumpkin flavor in it. And yeah, they taste completely unlike pumpkin or I don't know. I guess I'm used to like a pumpkin flavored latte at Starbucks or something that that should kind of taste like that. But yeah, it's very easy to screw up. Mm -hmm. Well, with it, with that said, um, let's go ahead and close it out. But before we do so, uh, let's uh, give a little shout out to you, Keith. So where can folks find you around the interwebs? I am most active on Instagram at KJ Sawdust. Uh, that's really pretty much it. I have a Twitter account, but I do not go on there at all. And yeah, I do stories uh, from the shop every Saturday and Sunday. Uh, you can DM me questions, anything. I answer everything. And it's, if you look at the battery life on my phone and how much is spent on each app, you'll see that. <laughs> <laughs> it is dominated by Instagram. I understand that. That's one thing, you know, I'll check Instagram at work and boy, I just wish they had a better web app uh, than what they get. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That would, that would be fantastic. But 
With that said, uh, where can folks find you, Diami? Well, I am at uh, I am on the Twitter. I'm at Diami Plotke, <laughs> D-Y-A-M-I-P-L-O-T-K-E. I'm also on uh, on Instagram. And these days, those are about the only social media. You could also go to modernwoodworkersassociation.com, where I will tell you, and I'm going to talk while I pull this up because I'm very good at stalling um, <laughs> as I load this because as a proper podcast host, I was completely prepared to do this. But over of the course. weekend, I spent a little time on the website, and I'm proud to say that as we're here recording episode 198, mm-hmm. I just posted the show notes for 144, 145, and 146. Oh, so man. Um, I would encourage you to check out the modernwoodworkersassociation.com website, and you can see the show notes for our talk with Mike Powers and um, Sean's interview with Zach at, uh, regarding AWFS. Fantastic. So if you want to travel back in time, yeah, wow. Our website. Hey, if you really want to travel back in time, visit my website, which I'm not even <laughs> on a list. I got a renewal notice uh this week that uh my subscription or my uh annual payment for the domain name was automatically done. I went, That's on auto renew? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I got mine too. It's funny, so, yeah, mine came last week. I think we all we all done about the same time. <laughs> But anyway, you can uh, follow me on uh, Barton.Kyle on Instagram, and that's where I'm most active. So with that, that just about wraps it up for this show. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll never miss any of our exciting episodes. And while you're there, please leave us a review. Thank you for listening. Uh, Go to the website. Follow us on Instagram at MWA underscore national or Twitter at, I'm sorry, Twitter at MWA national, Instagram at MWA underscore podcast, because we refuse to use the same handle on both platforms. We're going to make you work for it. <laughs> um, but follow us at either either venue. Uh, on Twitter, we're mostly just reposting other woodworking related content that we find interesting. On Instagram, we're posting about the shows really is the most thing and that before every show, I'll do a little story about my setup of my recording gear in my shop. <laughs> um, and, uh, and you can follow us on Facebook as the Modern Woodworkers Association. But the best thing you can really do is find a friend who likes woodworking and tell them about the show because word of mouth goes, is the best at spreading the word. Uh, so with that, go get an odd job and use it as a plumb <laughs> level to make sure your table is plumb. Because without a plumb table, everything just rolls off. It's really no good. Go, go build something. Well said. <laughs>